Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, we love Burger King Grilled Dogs. They're made with 100% beef, and they're 100%. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Gruber, your host, so happy to have you with us. I realized that we hadn't talked with Arturo Goletti of Boxscore Geeks since the moratorium and all the craziness that has happened with this summer, so he and I were talking and we decided to do a podcast, and it was funny because we originally were talking about doing about 45 minutes, and it ended up being that we talked for an hour and 45 minutes, so went on a lot of different topics. It cut down to an hour 30, so it's still hefty. But we went on all sorts of different topics, from the, the off-season, lots of stuff on the Cavs, to way to build teams, to do rotations and everything. It was a really fun conversation. The only disclaimer I have to put on it is that while neither of us heard it while we recorded, for whatever reason, the actual audio file had a clicking that is pretty frequent. It's a couple times a second. And I was able to reduce it a little bit with the tech that I have, but not all the way. So it is there. I apologize. And I tried to do other things to reduce it, but you couldn't hear the conversation well enough to make it worth it. So I completely understand if it bothers you enough that you're uncomfortable listening to it. However, the conversation itself is wonderful. So if you stick with it, I feel like it's worth it. And some people that I've sent it to as we were trying to figure out what was wrong with it thought that you eventually can ignore it. But there is a clicking. I wanted to let you know. But it was a great conversation. Love having Arturo on, and so hopefully you like it too. Thank you so much for coming on. Nice to be on. It's been a while, so I figure we might as well start with, we don't need to get too into nuts and bolts unless you want to, but your thoughts, any prevailing thoughts on the off season so far? I think it's been interesting. It's been an interesting journey, to say the least. I think, you know, uh, it was fun when it started with, uh, you know, uh, LeBron's wife 
putting that post on Instagram about going back home, and, and, and it was just kind of ridiculous to watch all the Miami fans who kind of fell all over themselves, and they just couldn't quite believe LeBron would walk away. And it's not like LeBron had actually walked away before from somebody. It's like, you know, he, he wouldn't do it to us, right? And, and just from there on, I mean, I think it's been very interesting because it, it's been a significant shift in power, at least in the East, uh, as it's going to wind up. And it's also kind of one of those deals where, like, you know, where people's kind of misconceptions about what makes a team good versus what actually makes a team good have ran into themselves because the, the whole Wiggins and, and, and Love argument is kind of, you know, a, mi- a misunderstanding about, like, money in hand versus, you know, actual real value. So we know that Kevin Love is a top five or top ten guy, depending on how you define it. We think that, the, uh, that Wiggins might be a, a, a top five or top ten guy in five years. If you've got LeBron and he just came to play with you and he's 30 years old or he's getting close to 30, you take the guy who's a top five to top ten guy, you pair him with him because look at the domino effect. They got him. They got Marion. They got uh, Ray Allen. They, they, they have, I mean, basically they have on paper a team that should be the easily the best in the East. I mean, again, I think they, they have some issues around big men they need to figure out. But, you know, the kind of problems they're having is the kind of problems that, you know, take you from 55 wins to maybe 65 wins. Uh, as opposed to, like, if they have Wiggins where, like, you know, if it doesn't quite gel, then you might be looking at a team that's, like, you know, struggling to get home court in the East. You know, wins 45 games, struggling to get home court in the East. Now, again, that's given that you have LeBron James, it's kind of a hard sell, but, but, but it's interesting. And I think the, the hidden story has been that, man, those Western teams are good. And all, not only are they good, but, like, even the teams that were, like, on the fringe in the West, have actually gotten better. I think we'll talk about this a little bit, but there, there's one team in particular out west that we, I think we both like. And man, you know, you know, as much as I like him, I don't know how I give him a play. Like, who am I? Who am I like taking out of the playoffs to give him a chair? It's a very interesting thing. I was actually on radio today in Portland, and they were they asked me, you know, what moves from the offseason stood out to you, and you you hit on it. And the one that they said is, it feels like people are underestimating how good Kevin Love is. And as somebody who lives in the Bay Area and who covers the Warriors and who had to, who has continually dealt with these arguments of people saying, oh, well, you can't trade Clay Thompson, he's a two-way player and all this stuff. And I said, the, arg- the argument that basically stopped most of them in their tracks, not saying, you know, it's definitive or anything, is a best-case scenario for Clay Thompson would be that he is as good as, that he ends up being as good as Kevin Love is now. And Andrew Wiggins, it's basically the same thing. While they're very different players, and you know if they're reaching the same total in win shares or PER or overall impact, both the Warriors and the Wolves in this case would be over the moon if their guys got to be as overall good as Kevin Love is. Yeah, actually, and one thing I'll say is I've, I've spent an ungodly amount of time kind of pouring over the numbers this season uh, or this offseason in the sense of, like, I've been looking, you know, I've been building my own metric. I've been doing stuff, uh, kind of people have asked me questions that may or may not have been like for profit, right? And, and I've also kind of been building our database for that. And I think the, the Clay Thompson question is really interesting because people kind of argue the defense. When you actually start looking at it, Kevin Love gets a bad rap on defense. And I, I think one of the things people don't understand is that the way the T-Wolves actually set up their defense was specifically not to challenge people at the rim. Like this is their strategy that they were actually going for because Alaman didn't want to give up fouls underneath the basket, right? So they weren't getting physical with people at the rim, which means like the, the post numbers are kind of a little bit inflated. But when you start looking at it, like it breaks out that he's not a great defender, but he's not a bad defender. He's about, and again, I've done the number, from, from 1 to 100, he rates about a 60, which means he's a little better than average when you combine everything else. But then when you look at Clay, 
what's really interesting about Clay is Clay is also kind of in that range, but the caveat being that Clay's playing probably next to the best wing defender in the league and arguably the best rim defender in the league in Iguodala and Bogut. So playing next to these two guys, right, who are really fantastic defenders and who are dragging up the rest of their should be dragging, or typically what they, these guys do is they'll drag up the defense. And he's also not getting the roughest, the toughest defensive assignment because that's either going to, to Iggy or to Bogut. So if you're in that system and your numbers don't line up as kind of an elite level defender or something like what you see on a guy for like, you know, on the Pacers or something, then I got to kind of go with like, well, you're arguing defense for Clay, and I don't see it. And I think I have this, this bias, which is a very simple bias. You always trade small for big because at the end of the day, if I can get a skilled big man, right, th- there is almost no scenario where having a skilled big man is not better than having a skilled small man, right, it, particularly if they're in a similar age groups. Right. It, it, yeah, and they're 18 months apart in age, so it's not like they're. It's not like one is 20 and one is 25. There, I believe it's 18 months apart. Yeah, to the point, I think I've made this argument. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of Dion Waiters. I understand, like for example, that like and I think LeBron actually like kind of tweeted him and he likes him and whatnot. But if I'm Cleveland and, and I, I'd be on the phone trying to see if I can get a decent backup big for for Waiters, right? Because it, I would be too. Because as whatever you think of Waiters, the biggest flaw for that team right now is. You need an extra big. Like, maybe they can come up with him with some other way, but that's kind of a flaw. And, and, and you just don't see players like Kevin Love. And we're, we're going to get to see him with, with, with LeBron. And I think people are going to be kind of – it's going to be insane. He is going to pass a 90 – like, he's going to pass a 90-foot pass from one end of the court to the other for an alley at some point in the season, right? It, it, it's it's going to be kind of crazy. Some of the stuff that's actually going to happen with those two guys playing together yeah. is going to be kind of insane. A story that I'll tell, because uh, I went to, I went to UCLA, though I had graduated by the time Kevin went there, and something I saw, I believe it was in the NCAA tournament, I saw it in person. I'm not sure I would have believed it otherwise. I saw him doing what is his outlet pass, so basically a long chest pass, from his own free throw line and making shots. I didn't see him make just one. I think it was two or three, and it was it was insane. I mean, I'm not saying oh he should shoot that as a as a shot, but somebody who has the skill to be that accurate with it is absolutely incredible. And as you were saying, the other part of the small for big, and this is a topic we might get into later. I'm hoping to is that even if let's say Kevin loves a 60 on defense, and you go oh that that's bad, and you know or it's not great more accurately, he's a power forward. I believe that rim protectors are essential for uh, quality NBA defense. It's just one of my things. But you're probably not going to be getting that from your power forward unless your power forward is named Serge Ibaka. So he is deficient in a way that is easily remediable. You know, you can do, you can deal with that. It's not like he's a center that can't play defense or he's a point guard who can't run an offense like George Hill. He is weak in a way that teams can handle it, and the ultimate irony of that is that the team that is the most adept at handling a bad defensive power forward is the Golden State Warriors. Well, and again, here's, here's what's really interesting about this. So, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, it's not like David Lee is a is a world beater on defense. In fact, he's he's actually everything that everybody's complaining about, like in, in panic mode about about Kevin Love on defense. Dave, David Lee is that and more. And again, I think the 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 thing people think so think about this. So what's going to be Cleveland's crunch time five who, who, who's playing the big spots for Cleveland the crunch so let's say arguably they roll out LeBron Kevin Love and Varejao right so those are the three that they roll out in like the big positions I'm not too worried about those three guys covering the post right who in the east is making Cleveland pay for playing those three guys in the post 
Yeah, I mean, incidentally, I mean, in some ways, the best matchup for them would be, I mean, the hardest matchup for them would be the Heat. But even that, I'm not, I'm not thinking Chris Bosh is going to make anybody devastated because I think I just one of the I just it, put, maybe if I, Jonas Valanciunas does something, but who knows? I, I put LeBron, you put LeBron, you put LeBron on Bosh and laugh all the way to the bank and, and make him make him go to the post and then double up on the post on him. I mean, I think again, I I don't think that it's going to be a major issue, particularly with the scheme they're going to run. And I think again, I think what's going to be interesting is that I think that team, that Cleveland team, is going to run a hell of a lot of small ball, particularly now that they've got Miller. I think it's going to be interesting if you if you've got a Miller, LeBron, Kevin Love, Waiters, and Kyrie lineup, or maybe uh, Doladova. That that's that's going to be kind of interesting. I mean, even Ray. I mean, you put Ray and Ray's just going to be have so many open looks on that team, and, and you can have yeah. you can have Ray and Miller on the floor with like Kyrie, uh, LeBron, and and Caleb. And, and and how many open looks are those two guys going to get? It's it's, it's going to be a really, really interesting front team to watch. And while I didn't watch a ton of David Blatt's team in the last couple of years in Europe, I did watch the final, the early final. And one of the things that I noticed was that even though I didn't know a ton of their players, it seemed like his offense was getting generating really good looks against a Real Madrid team that was pretty good. I mean, Nikola Mirotic is the guy that I know the most on that team, and he's not a great defender. But, you know, they had lots of talent. Real Madrid was the was the more talented team of those two. Mm-hmm. But there's something to be said for a guy who can do that. And as other people have said, you know, if it doesn't work, then you get a new coach. Big whoop. You know, you can do that. Dave, Dan Gilbert can pay somebody else. But the question that I wanted to ask you, you're talking about Kevin Love being a 60, let's say, on defense from what from 0 to 100. Does that 60 take into account how good a defensive rebounder he is? Yes, yes. It does. Yeah, because that's a huge thing. Because I, I think that, especially when we're talking about power forwards and my stance that defense doesn't matter as much for them as, let's say, centers, is that he ends a lot of possessions. And while he might end some of those possessions because he's playing the rebound instead of adequately contesting the shot, there is an intense value to that, and there is an intense value to being better at that than your than your counterpart. Well, no, you know, being a really good rebounder is important. And again, what, I, what I'm saying is basically, you know, a power forward is playing Kevin Love perform on average slightly worse than they do on an, on an average night, which is, you know, I mean, he's, as I said, you're not getting him for his defense, but his defense ain't bad. And, and again, the point I was making is he was very specifically were playing a style of ball where they were not challenging and not being physical at the rim. That was the style they were playing. That, you know, so basically they were giving up post play versus some other things that they were covering. So that kind of plays into what you see in terms of the numbers. And I think it's going to be interesting when you put him in a different system, how that's going to play out. I'm not saying he's going to morph into a world-class defender, but he's not David Lee, you know, and, and, yeah. and David Lee famously nicknamed by Kirk Goldsberry, the golden gate. Right. So, and, and again, I've seen David Lee play live and I've, I, I've never seen, I mean, it was, it was a really interesting. I saw him and, and two things jumped out at me. I think Steph Curry is ridiculous in terms of that if he gets, if he gets any space, any space at all, you just feel like he's going to make every shot. And uh, Avery Bradley was covering him that game. Avery Bradley is a really good defender. And then you look at what was going on the other side. Anywhere that David Lee was, you were expecting the man who was like, you know, who was being covered by David Lee to score. It, it was just one of those things that you, you just watch it and you get this feeling that like he, he was just completely uninterested in, in covering anybody. And well, as, as you know, I've watched a lot of him because <laughs> I cover the Warriors. And I think that I, I agree with you that there was this expectation. I think he got a little bit better this past yeah. year. But but a little bit better is, you know, that going from terrible to shaky or bad is that 
And the other factor, you were talking about it with Dion Waiters, that I think is going to be very fun to see with the Heat, or not the Heat, the Cavs, is how these guys, Kyrie and Waiters and various other people on this team, Kevin Love to a point, that have had the ball in their hands a lot, how they adapt to a situation where they have different shots and different responsibilities. And I think for the most part, they'll do well. I mean, we have the general expectation that when usage goes down, efficiency goes up. But we'll have to see mentally, you know, if one of if one of those guys, and I assume it would be waiters, doesn't adapt well to that, then that would be another reason to move them for somebody who makes more sense. My biggest problem with waiters is they're, they're, I, I've yet to see, I mean, here's the problem. He wasn't a starter in college, and he couldn't get to start in college. He's been, you know, let's say, he's been not good in, in the pros so far. Now, I get that he's a young player, but but I don't know that he's magically going to become something he's not. I'm not saying he doesn't have the physical gifts, but I've seen no indication. I mean, he's a guy, like, so far in two years, he's, what, a 42% shooter? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't know that I see him kind of magically becoming this, this incredible player. And that's why I said, like, look, if, if I was offered the right thing for him, God, I mean, you know, I'd move him in a heartbeat because he doesn't fit the need for that team, right? And, and, and again, I, I, I argue, and, and I have this argument all the time, that, you know, there, there isn't a lot of value to be had at the guard positions. I, I mean, there, there, there are a couple guys who are, like, above and beyond everybody else. And after that, I, I, I really wouldn't pay guards. I mean, I think, and I was arguing this with, with Dave Barry, actually, and I was like, you know, he was like, no, but, like, he, he's like, I was saying, like, I wouldn't pay any guard the max money, or, like, rare, it's a rare guard, I pay the max money. He's like, no, but you'd pay Curry, Harden, and I think Chris Paul was the other name he said, and I said, yeah, that's exactly, those Those are the three guards I'd pay. Everybody else, basically, you know, I think is is, is, is pretty interchangeable. I mean, look at the look at the point guards and shooting guards, but, I mean, like, you know, there isn't a super excellent shooting guard right now in the league, and I think point guard, there's, there's like, you know, you can't throw a ball without hitting a great point guard on a team right now. And, and again, it, 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 Paul Curry, Harden, that's it. And, and even Harden has some warts on this game. I think Harden has some warts, and, and Curry has the fact that his ankles are, are, are made of tofu. And then Paul isn't the guy he was, and, and you kind of have to kind of baby him because he'll get hurt. So... I mean, after that, I mean, you, know, you can you can get to the Westbrooks, and I think Westbrook is interesting because Westbrook. I always thought would think Westbrook is out of position, and I think we're actually going to get to see what happens when you actually play him off the ball this year, right? But, but again, there isn't that that guy. So if you have Dion Waiters, right, and there's a team that says, you know, hey, I'm going to give you these great bigs for him back, then you really have to think about it. So let me throw something. So let's say you could get. You know, something like, I don't know, Denver or, or Toronto to offer you some decent bigs that they have on those rosters, or like Detroit. What, what if Detroit offers you Greg Monroe? I mean, that's, you, you really have to think about it because, again, the, the, the trick for that, that the Cleveland team is if, if I'm thinking I want to beat San Antonio, whoever comes out of the West, I, I, I kind of need another big man to do that. I, I don't think you're going to be able to go small against a team like San Antonio or Oklahoma. Because if you do, their, their, their small ball is going to be way better than yours. You hit on an interesting point with the guards. The way that I've phrased it for years now is that I feel like having a point guard is important to have a good offense. I think we're learning that with the Pacers. However, there is an overabundance in terms of supply. Well, so while it is important, 
it is easily available. So when something is important but easily easily available, it's kind of like the water for diamonds economic theory. You know, just because something is important doesn't necessarily mean you have to pay a ton for it if it's around. Who is that? And I mean, I, me, Isaiah Thomas. Go ahead. But let me ask you a question: Who is the best point guard in this century since like the turn of the century? Who is the best point guard on the championship team? I'd have to think about it offhand, I, but the thing for me about it is I don't think championships are a great way to measure that. I think that championships are measured by elite talents, and there just aren't that many elite talents that have been point guard size. Well, I, I mean, I, me, I, think, I think I think probably the like best, Magic. I think I would I would argue that well, I mean, again, Magic is a special case because he was like you know he was he played center in his first final for God's sake. I would say that I think Jason Kidd is probably the best one that is actually like been to repeated finals and won it. And, and, and Kidd, again, Kidd, if you look at his numbers, is historically kind of great in terms of court awareness and what he did. But 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 he's a very special... Like, he's on the extreme end of that curve. But if you start looking... And again, you, he had, like, more failures as a success in that, at that stage. And, and, and the point being, as I said, I mean, unless he's... It, you know, the league is kind of about the short supply of tall people, and I, I think I've said this before on this podcast, but, but it's true... And you should always be thinking about, can I get a skilled big man? Which is, you know, bringing us back full circle. If you can get Kevin Love on your team and you can put him together with LeBron James, yeah, you do whatever you need to do to make that happen. Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely something you said. I mean, my, my stance on championships themselves is that I always think of it as on the truly elite, the best of the best. I, the stat, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think it's only like six or seven teams in the last 40 years have won a championship without a player who had already won an MVP. And as we know, there have been very few MVPs that have been point guards. So, you know, it's, but anyway, that's a separate issue. And I completely agree with you on big over small. I think that's definitely the case. And big over small leads us into the team that you alluded to before that both of us really like, which is the New Orleans Pelicans. So we, we like the Pelicans, and, and, and we like the Pelicans with some heavy caveats. So, you know, here's the scenario where I see that this is a really good team. I mean, again, I think, one, Anthony Davis has to stay healthy. I think we both kind of think that Omar Osik will be a much better player this year. He'll be back to form because I think, one, he'll like what he's doing, and he won't be kind of, you know, going through the, oh, I hate what I'm doing. I actually kind of think that they have to play Ryan Anderson. They have to run Ryan Anderson out of the three. And I think before anybody argues, I think the fact if you're running Ryan Anderson and and, and 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 Anthony Davis out there, you know, both of them kind of can, can go outside and shoot and that'll give you some stretch. I think then you start getting into the interesting spots because I think, you know, I'm assuming that'll be Drew, right, at the at the point guard position. And, you know, I think that the shooting guard, I'm hoping that Eric Gordon is healthy. So it's kind of, if, if that's if those five players are your, are your team and then, like, Tyreek is your sixth guy, then I think that's a really interesting six-man rotation for that team. And, again, the problem being that I don't know that they're going to exactly do that. And, two, I don't know how healthy those guys are going to be. And, you know, the third problem, obviously, being they're playing the West. So even if, even if they run out the perfect lineup, and even if they're like in the 45 to 50 win range, I don't know that that actually gets them in the playoffs. Yeah, it definitely might not in the West. And the other part of it that, that I think about, as long as you can get the guys on board, and obviously we know that has been a problem historically, is sometimes people forget that you also have 48 minutes at each position. So while Ryan playing a little bit at the three, I think would be cool. And I, I'd be fascinated to see how it works out. If you're giving a vast majority or almost all of the center and power forward minutes to those three guys, 
then you're not going to have to do it a ton if you don't want to. If it doesn't work out, and it's not a situation where you're playing Omer next to Dwight Howard and you get into all those weird spacing issues and all that, nice. I, I think we both think Kevin McHale should have given it a better chance than he did. But you can do that, and you, I just think they have an incredible foundation for a team to be successful in a regular season format because they're just a team that will just mess up other teams with the way that they play. And I think Anthony Davis is on the cusp of, not on the cusp of stardom. I think he's on the cusp of superstar. Let me throw, let me throw a curveball at you, right? So we think 45 to 50 or in that range is feasible with this team, with the coach they had. So with Monty Williams as a coach. So imagine if, and I'm looking at this roster, imagine if Greg Popovich was close to coaching this team. So how many wins could Pop win with this? I mean, there, there's some interesting pieces because Pop might actually run out Tyreek at the one for significant uh, for some periods of time, or do kind of the rotations he's doing. You know, I think if you gave Pop this roster, he could he could be more in the 55, 58 uh, win range because it's a really interesting roster. I just don't know if Monty Williams is going to know what the hell to do with him. If we can equalize health, I think high 50s would certainly be possible. I think that. If they were healthy, the the challenge, as you mentioned with them, is that if they lose specifically any one of their top few guys, it's going to really devastate them. If and, and basically, other than the dregs of the league, I wouldn't expect this team to do much damage without Anthony Davis. You know, that's how good he is, and that's how important he is. But if they have him and they have their other guys, they're a tough out for everybody. And they're they're a type of team that, especially, let's say, you're if they're well-coached, as you said, and you're playing them, let's say, on the tail end of a back-to-back, they're just going to be tough. And they're going to be entertaining. I also think they're going to have better crowds. And while I don't think that's a huge factor, it definitely does matter a little bit. And as you and I have talked about before, offline, maybe even on the podcast, being in a city that players enjoy, let's say, during yeah. off days could work to their tactical advantage at certain points of the year. Yeah, I could see the Rockets, I could see the Rockets not winning a game against the Pelicans this year. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely possible. Yeah, I can see the Rockets just like, no, 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 we're checking out. Just schedule them for Mardi Gras. It's interesting. I'm looking at the roster. The, the, they only have one player who's over 26. It's, it's Omar is the only player on that team that's over 26. My, my biggest concern is, you know, I don't like Austin Rivers, and I worry that he's going to get way too much playing time on this team where he really shouldn't. And if I could move that piece out and get basically anything back for him, than, than I would. Because I think, I, I mean, I don't have an issue with anything else on the I even like, a, I think Ajinka's okay, who's their, who's their backup center. I'm looking at, like, it, it's, a, it's a very kind of interestingly built roster. I wish they had a, so the problem is, like, again, you're, you're relying, it's, it's, it's Gordon, Holiday, and Tyreek, and the backups for those positions are, are, are kind of, you know, sad, right? So, yeah. They, they... They are sad. Uh, the thing that I'll, I'll be mad about, and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter a couple of days ago, is I'll always be mad that they gave away the chance of getting Nerlens Noel because I feel like they that would have done a lot of what Omer's going to do, and then they wouldn't have had to give up. They would have had him for cheaper, and then they also would have had their pick this year, and then they could have gotten that perimeter player we're talking about, whoever that is, and then they could have built a long-term foundation. But that's a conversation in some ways for another day. Yeah. I mean, and this kind of dovetails into something. So where would you have them right now in the West? I'd have them a very strong 10th, as crazy as that is. I, I think that I don't think that's crazy. I, I think that the team that I'm very intrigued by, especially because I don't, I'm more and more convinced that they are not well-coached, is the Rockets. I love the Rockets' talent, but 
I feel like they're a team that is very susceptible. But I even with even with bad luck, I don't have them below the Pelicans. No, and I um, think I think I think you you can't. I mean that team. That team is not wor- that team is in no way worse than the team they had. that team will not be worse than they were last year. They can't be. I think that team will be better than they were last. I actually think that like one this is a team that will be this is probably the team in the league that will probably be one of the teams that will be most helped by actually maturing. And you know, as you get older, you stop going to strip clubs and maybe you get a little more serious about yourself. And I think that's that's part of it for that team. I think it was important for them to have that Portland series happen to them. I think Ariza, who's a guy who's... Ariza's way underrated in the sense that, like, Ariza's a guy who's been through playoff wars, right? So I think he's a good fit on this team in terms of somebody who's coming in who's actually got, like, who's actually done it before and, and got to get hit on the shoulder. And I know Harden and, 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 and Dwight have done it before, but I don't know that, like, you know, you don't... Dwight and, and, and James are not the guys who are, like, building, a, a, a like, a, a serious locker room culture, right? So... I think that's that's going to be interesting. I think the, I think the Rockets are going to be at worst. They're exactly the same win total as last year, and I think and I think I think the I I favor the up on that team. I think they won. I think it was fifty five last year. I think I think they'll be closer to the sixty win plateau this year. And it's just I think that's that's a better team. I think the team I worry about is the Grizzlies because even though I liked their draft, I worry that some of their the bigs might be past the expiration point. Because you know, I, I think at this point you you know once Sibo and and Mark are that age where you, you kind of have to worry about like their continued health and and how long they really can keep that together. I mean, I love Conley, but but I worry that you know this might be a transition year for them. If I had to pick somebody to fall out of that of that eight, I think I think the Grizzlies are, are a strong candidate. And again, it's because of health. I think I think the Spurs are the Spurs, and and, and the only reason I would like so I was arguing with somebody like. I'd pick the under on the Spurs probably because I think, again, I don't think Pop cares. And actually, I think Pop actually wants to lose it. I mean, Pop will throw five games on purpose, right? We, we, know, <laughs> we, know, we, know, we know there's going to be games on national TV where, like... But they, don't, but they don't lose those games. I, I was there when their backups beat the Warriors. They don't necessarily lose those games, even if they're trying to. Well, even, yeah, especially now that they, they, they got... Uh, Kyle Anderson. Yeah, Kyle Anderson is on that team, and... And God, the backups on that team are going to be crazy too. I love, I love the, the second unit team on that on that team is going to be insane. But but again, again, you you can't it. I think Oklahoma, and I said this. I think the biggest story, the, the the hidden story out west is I think the the West is going to go. A lot of it's going to depend on how good Stephen Adams is this year. I think if Stephen Adams continues to grow and and he becomes the player I think he can be, then I think Oklahoma is going to be something completely different. Because and that's going to be really interesting. Because I mean, I think I think it's the Aussie is the one who's actually going to make the difference in that in that matchup. So I mean, you've got them. You've got the Clippers, who I think will be. You know, the Clippers are going to be there, right? I think. You know, I think. Uh, you know, can I can I take out the Warriors again? I think the Warriors might be another team that might regress because. And again, it's not down to talent. I think it's down to I don't know that the, the Warriors can actually have the degree of health they had last year again, right? Even though I like Kerr a little more than Jackson, I don't know that you can sustain with that with that roster, right? With that roster, I don't know that they can sustain the health that they had last year, right? At times, that team looked like the best team in basketball, but they couldn't stay at that level consistently because of health. 
right? I mean, you, you're you watched a lot of Warriors games. Do you kind of agree with that assessment that I just said about them? Yeah, I I agree with it. I agree with it largely. I do think though that the Warriors' health issues are a little bit overwrought. I think that part of it is that Curry's early career had a couple of long absences, particularly in I believe it was 2012, when that absence was more strategic than injured. It was more strategic than him actually being hurt, which is because they were tanking to get Harrison Barnes. But his ankles still aren't fantastic. But I think that the only the, 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 go ahead. The only starter on that team who hasn't had a debilitating long-term injury or like a history of injury is is probably Clay. Because I mean, even Iggy has had his issues, right? Oh yeah. But then, he has. but David Lee has had his issues. Bogut definitely has had his issues. So you, you know, in your top, you got four guys that have had issues. So I'm like, yeah. it's it's a team where I said, look, if if they're healthy, right? It's lightning in a bottle. If the Warriors are 100% healthy going into the playoffs, then God, I don't want to see them in, 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 in any series. And I think they have a puncher's chance of making the finals. But I don't know that that's more than a 5 to 10% uh, odds of that happening, of every one of those guys being 100% coming into the playoffs, right? And, and that's, I think, the problem with the roster that we have. I wish, I said, this is why I wish they'd gotten out and, and gotten Kevin Love because it would have made, I mean, that would have taken that team to a completely different level because then even if they show up at 90%, that I'm thinking it's going to take like a miracle to stop them from getting to the to the conference, conference finals at least. And that to me is where the lines of division are in the West. Is you have two teams in the Spurs and the Thunder that, barring catastrophe, should be in. And bar and I would say barring mild catastrophe, should be in the top hosting seeds and probably the top two. Every other team, I I can't say that about. Well, you I know, think that's I think, how strong everybody is. I think the Rockets. They're I'm trying to put. They're they're like the. Are you are you a wrestling fan at all? I'm not as much as I used to be. So they're they're like Jake the Snake. They're like Jake the Snake, right? Where like that's the guy who like had all the tools, but he was crazy, right? <laughs> and, and, and and all the tools, all the potential, but it's like you don't know if he's gonna get out. They're gonna get out of, out of their own way. I think the Rockets, if they, you know, you could talk me into the Rockets going anything from like as I said, like 55 to 65 wins. You really could. I, it, it's it's that kind of roster, and they, they've got all these guys that, like, if any one of them kind of goes to the next level, then it's crazy. And, and, but again, again, you're playing a conference that's, that's just completely insanely loaded. And again, we, we haven't even got to the five seed, and, you know, we still got, like, so, I mean, like, the other team I think might fall out is Portland, right? That's the other one, but, like, we kept kind of doubting Portland, and they kept coming back. But, like, yeah. <sighs> I'm trying to find a spot for the Pelicans, and I gotta throw two people out to get them in because I also think the Suns are gonna be better too, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. And and the other part of this that I think is is the big question in the West, or in some ways, is that to me, other than the Spurs and Popovich, the teams with the most talent aren't the teams with the best coaches. I think Carlisle is one of the best coaches in the league. I think Terry Stotts is a great coach. I think Doc Rivers is a good regular season coach. I think he's a little overrated as a playoff coach. You and I may differ given your Celtics history. Uh, uh, but so, but I think that the teams, and the Suns are another example of this. I love Hornacek as a coach. I feel like those teams at the bottom are really well coached, and I feel like that. So how that shakes out is going to be fascinating because I think the Rockets, as you said, I think their, their high-level talent is phenomenal. I think that their mid-level talent is also good. And the other part of the Rockets is that the way their teams are structured generally, they have opportunities for somebody to outperform their current slot. I, I don't know. And I, I don't, with by Patrick and whoever. I don't know why. I don't know why I think this. But 
I think that D'Antoni coaching that roster is inevitable. I don't know why I think. Oh, I want to see that. Oh my God, that would just be awesome. I, I don't, oh I, man, I don't know why, but it it, it almost seems like fate, and it almost what? it would be. I think it would be just. I think that roster is perfect for him too. I, I mean, I think there there isn't. You could not build a better roster for him. It, it would be the most insane thing ever because I mean that that team, that team might put up like 120 points a night in that situation because they, they have so many shooters. And and, and and then they got – I think somehow – I don't want to wish Will. I mean, I love Kevin McHale, but I, I think that he's the guy because I think even Scotty Brooks and, – and Scotty Brooks has many limitations, but for whatever reason, he apparently also has blackmail material on the uh, on the owner of the, uh, of the Thunder. So – on Presti too. So I don't think Scotty Brooks is getting fired. So I, I think the, the, mo- the most interesting team in terms of the coaching change is probably Houston because that, that is a really talented roster. And I think with the right coach, as I said, I think D'Antoni would be a perfect fit there. I think with the right coach, that's, that, that's a whole different situation. So, I mean, do we, do we, we, like, we like the Pelicans. Do we like anybody else out west? Do you think that's like a dark horse there? I mean, I don't think we can count the Suns as a dark horse. So, no, I actually, what do you I, think? I'm not looking at a roster, but I think the bottom of the West is just a mile worse. I think the Kings aren't that good. I think the Lakers aren't that good. Uh, I'm trying to remember who else is in the I bottom. Have, I, have, but I, have, I, have, I have another team for you. I, I think Denver put the band back together. Which, oh. Denver, Denver, but, Denver, Denver. Except for Carl. Yeah, they, except for the coach. Except for Carl, but they went out and they got every all the guys they had when uh, when they did the mellow trade. They they brought everybody back, so they got a follow back, and and you know if Gallinari comes back, and you got Fareed, and maybe McGee comes back. It it that's that's I don't know what Denver's going. And, and again, here's the thing. I, I think we, were you there when the, the one night in Sloan where we were watching the, the 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 Nuggets just put up that shameful exhibition? I think the Raptors were playing like a triple overtime game. And all the Raptors guy were stressed because I think Lowry went down. But they, the Nuggets were playing that same day, and and I remember, what I remember about that is, is for stretches the Nuggets were really good last year, and then they they kind of you know it looked like they were you know in the tank of Palooza sweepstakes. Uh, I, I think that's actually a decent roster if everybody shows up healthy. But again, I don't know what the hell. I mean, like you know, are they a 50 win team? And and they could be, particularly given their home court, but. You know how many? What's going to be the cutoff for the eighth seed in the in the West then? Is it going to be some like some ridiculous number like fifty two or fifty three wins? I mean, I, I it, could, might, it might be. I mean, you the, the 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 fun thing about the the Nuggets is they it flies directly in the face of something you and I were talking about previously in terms of bigs is that the only big on that team that I remotely trust is Kenneth Freed. And while the other guys are fine, I like Timofey Mozgov. I think he's underrated. And depending on how they play it, they could play Danilo Gallinari at the four. And I love Gallinari. I'm a huge, huge fan. I don't trust their bigs enough for them. Like, if a game is close towards the end, and I think this is part of the explanation for why Minnesota was so horrendous in late-game situations, is if they have to get a big stop at the end, I'm not trusting of that. Though I think they'll get a score on their end, and I think they could lose some games that they that other teams might win for that reason. Yeah, I think the problem was like I think the fit and, and if we're talking about this, the problem was the fit with Rubio and Pekovic was wasn't great. And I think it just it, it was just something that and again the problem is like if uh, having Rubio kind of running that offense, he can't really make that that shot right. And you know it, it was a weird to me it was a weird, a weird fit. I think also there was some weird coaching going on, but there was a weird, weird fit there. 
I think for Denver, what's interesting to me is, you know, I was watching, if you're watching Team USA, I mean, I liked the, the best line of the U.S. rolled out there. I think Coach K kind of noticed this was Fareed and, 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 and Davis. And, and it kind of looks to me like Fareed's going to be the guy, he's going to get a lot of minutes on that team. And I think it's going to be really interesting for his development. I think Coach K is actually good for, for some of these guys, and that experience is good. So I would I don't know. I think Denver is sneaky for me in that. I mean, I don't know what spot I'm going to put them in, but they're sneaky for me in that Western Conference. I mean, I, there isn't – I mean, other than the Lakers, the Jazz, and, like, the Kings, there isn't a team in that West that I couldn't see making anything from, like, a, a fifth seed to, uh, like – a, a 13 seed, right? So any of these teams we just talked about can make the five seed. I mean, I, I think the Lakers. Yeah. I think the Lakers are bad. I think the, I think the Kings. You said the Kings are bad. I mean, I think the Kings to me are interesting because I always think Boogie could actually like again. Boogie could 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 jump a level. I don't know with that roster that could happen, but you know they might. There's there's a rumor going around they might trade for Rondo. So if that happens, then that's that's a whole different team too. Yeah, that changes it. I mean, I, I just don't think that a team that is starting Darren Collison and whoever they started the two can prosper. <laughs> I just I just don't see it. You know, it's in, in this Western Conference where you're going to have to play well in all facets to win, a, to win every game. I, I don't see them having the offense to beat people, and I absolutely do not see them having the defense to do it. They'll be interesting. I think that they will win some games that will be very surprising. I wouldn't be, be shocked to see them beat multiple top three teams in each conference. Yeah. But I would be beyond shocked to see them in the playoff picture when you look at the aggregate. Yeah. And, and as I said, I think, I think we both agree the Lakers are not going to be good. <laughs> They're going to be terrible. The Lakers, the Lakers are, are not going to be good. They're, they're... I mean, not Sixers bad, but they're, the thing about the Lakers that's going to be frustrating in that sense is, and this is why I've been mad at them for years, well, especially last year, but in some ways more this year, is if you're going to lose a lot of games, then just lose a lot of games and, and grin and bear it. I, I think that they what they did is they spent a lot of money and they sacrificed some resources, not a ton of resources, but some resources, to get guys that are going to help them in the short term I, I don't, when their short term doesn't matter. I, I think here's the stutter from, from a historical perspective for the Lakers. So two of the top five players in the league moved in this offseason. The Lakers had pretty much cap room for both of them. And left over, and not not one of them went to LA, right? And, and it wasn't like LA wasn't trying, right? So LA was trying to get their like they had a shot. They tried to get the three guys, they didn't get a single one. And I think that's kind of you know throw that into after the Dwight Howard thing. It's like it's a different world for the Lakers. This is not you know Doctor Buss's team anymore. This is kind of a different generation. So I you know I don't know what the path is for the Lakers to get back to contention and to who they were. I think those days might be done for that team. And, 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 and again, I say this with a caveat that I'm a Celtics fan, but with the understanding that I think just from looking at what I've seen the last few off seasons, I don't believe this is an organization that like looks like it's attractive to free agents. And I think that, that, that Kobe Bryant contract does not help. I think uh, until Co- I don't see how they rebuild this team until Kobe's gone. And and this isn't a knock on Kobe because you know if if I was presented with the same contract I would sign it, but but right now the way that team is structured and the albatross they had like I think the players are smart enough to know that you know 
that's not a good contract. I'm not winning a title if I go to L.A., right? So I'm going to L.A. if I want to, like, hang out and spend time on the beach. But, again, I could I could do that in Miami, too, right, and, and, and have a better shot because I'm playing in the East. The other huge problem that they had this summer, you talked about them missing out on the top two guys, is that it also looks like the top guy in next year's class that they had a reasonable chance of getting, which is Kevin Love, who had roots in the area and all that. He's not going there either. He's not going to leave the Cavs to go to a decrepit Lakers team. And so then you're sitting there making, you're sitting there going, okay, well, who's going to be next? And so it's probably going to be two guys at the same time. That That's what I would yeah, Kevin, make the assumption. I think Kevin Durant is, is newsflash. Kevin Durant is probably going to the Wizards. And, and, and I've been saying this for so long, and it's finally possible. Well, it, 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 but here's again, I don't want to say anything like that because, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but every team's going to have max cap space in the summer yeah. of 2016. Every single team. You think this? You think this offseason was crazy? Every team in the NBA, every dumb team, every crazy team is going to have max cap space to throw at people, and there aren't there there aren't 30 like max guys in fact i've done the research there's, on average there's like seven guys who deserve the match in any season at most so you but you're gonna have 30 guys plus whatever it's like so it's gonna end up we're gonna end up with like something like 40 guys getting some ridiculous contract. and when i say the max it's gonna be something like a 150 180 million dollar contract at the max it's five, 150 at five years and 180 at six years right that's 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 what it's gonna look like it's gonna be like tv it's gonna be like baseball contracts for these guys right so we're not we're not that far off from having a guy get a two hundred million dollar contract in the NBA, and it it it's it, it, it's not going to be a good a couple of these are going to be really bad contracts, right? So they are. I, it's not going to be Durant though. No, Probably, no, I think hopefully. I, oh, it would be it would be really bad. I'd be be so depressed if five years from now we're sitting here and I, I know that this podcast exists and I'm crying because something bad happened to him like Brandon Roy. Do, but I don't think it's going to happen. Want want to try want to try going to the, to the East? Do we like anybody in the East? Who do you like in the East? I like Cleveland, I like Chicago, but I don't necessarily like either of them in the finals. I just think that, I mean, we'll see. I think Cleveland could add another piece, who's your, and they could be a dangerous who's team. Your, who's your three in the, in, in the East? Let's see if we agree. We agree on one and two. And do you, think, do you think, do you think, I think the Bulls are one right now, and the, and the Cavs are two. I would have the Cavs one, not because I think that they're a better team, but because I think that the Bulls are really top-heavy. And I think if if Rose or Noah misses extended time, I think they're going to lose a lot of games. The, the thing about that is people forget. I mean, like this team, even without like Rose, is winning almost fifty games. So I'm, yeah. like Thibodeau has shown like with Rose. So take the team. Think about the team two years ago. You and you added you added Powell and you added Miritic. So I have to think they're going to win sixty. And and Tibbs is the anti pop in the sense that like Tibbs will not Tibbs will win three games he should win. So that team will win. 64, maybe 65 games, just in the strength that like Tibbs like is insane and will will play guy will play Jimmy Butler 48 minutes, damn it, because like Tibbs is going to decide that he's going to get Jimmy Butler to ba- break uh, Will Chamberlain's minutes per game record. <laughs> if you're aware, that's 48.5 minutes a game because he played basically every minute but eight in a season, right? So and, and overtimes, yeah, and, and overtime. So I, I mean, I think I think Bulls and I think the Cavs because like, I don't think the Cavs are. I don't think the Cavs are going to particularly going to care about the one seed, and, and but that's just my opinion. I mean, I think they're going to be like they, I've got Ray, I've got Marion, I've got a couple guys on the team that I want to rest, so I'll run some weird lineups up, and uh, that'll be it. I I don't think they're going to care. I think they're going to be a two seed. I think I've got the Wiz as a three seed. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair call. I'd say it's to me it's the Wizards and the Raptors yeah, that are the yeah. most interesting teams. I, I think, and you could put them in either order. I think the Raptors have have some interesting upside. I think again they're they're a very young team. I think Jonas could make a jump. If Jonas makes a jump, that that Raptors team could could be challenging for the one two because I think that it's it's an interesting roster. I think and the other thing is I I always think Mazai is going to make another move, and if they can move something like Demar for for a good piece. Then, then that team automatically jumps a level. So I, I have the Raptors at close to the 50 win, you know, 50, maybe 50, anywhere from 50 to 55. But if they make a move, they could be like in the 55 range, right? And, and I think that's going to be, I think, the, I think the Wiz, it's crazy that we're talking about the Wiz and the Raptors in that 50 to 55 win range. But I think also the East is going to be really terrible. So 50 to 55 in the East would be like 40 to 40, would be like 45 to 50 in the West, right? So there's like the, uh, there's a, like a translation error there. I, I think it's I think the difference is a little bit overstated, but I do think I was going to ask you this question that directly counter counteracts that, which is if you theoretically swapped the Pelicans, which with the Wizards, because you have the Wizards as your three, where do you think each team would would land in that conference? I think the Wizards would be somewhere around tenth, tenth to ninth, maybe in the West. I think the Pelicans would be looking at the possibility of challenging for two seed. See, I think I think they'd be the three, but functionally that's pretty much the yeah, same. Yeah, but I, but I think they I think you you you'd have the possibility of them challenging for the two seed. You'd, yeah, it's it, incredible. They'd be they'd be they'd be they'd be they'd be thinking. But same thing with Phoenix. I thought I thought if Phoenix had actually been in the East last year, they could have probably come out. They they might have actually made the finals if they're in the East, just because yeah. I, I, they they kept the, they 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 crushed some of those teams. And again, so so going through, we've got those so. Who do you got at five? Five is interesting. Who do you think is the five the five seed in the in, in the East? Miami, probably. I, I, I I'm not sold on it. I'm not all the way there. I think Miami and Charlotte would be my next two. I think but I love the Hawks too. I, I was gonna I say I think I think it's the Hawks is healthy. I like what they did. I think it's a it's a bit of a, a fudge. I like the Hawks there. I like the the Heat. And as you said, the other team which is the um the, the, the Hornets. I think the Hornets. The Hornets have, you know, they added like a really good player. So you know, now we're we just did five. We just did uh, five, six, and seven. So who's our eight seed? Uh, I, I think it's coming down to Brooklyn, Detroit, and the Knicks are in the conversation. So Brooklyn, Detroit, the Knicks, and the Pacers. Yeah, I think all, all, any of them has a shot. I think there's a scenario where the where the Knicks are decent, and that scenario is a scenario in which. In, in which Amari and it kind of prospers on the triangle playing with, with Calderon. But the problem is, like, again, which is kind of the problem with the Knicks is all the scenarios where I see the Knicks being really good kind of involve something happening to uh, poor uh, Melo. I, I mean, I, I, wish, I really do wish they'd moved them for something. That would, have yep. better, that would have been better for them in the long term. And again, this is not a knock on Melo. It's just like you don't want Melo as the guy making thirty million dollars on your team. Yeah. This is not, you and I both you and I both talked about that. This is not I a, wanted them to trade him at the deadline. I thought they should have moved him at the deadline and gotten some pieces for him and just said, Best of luck, we're gonna do everything we can to get somebody in the class of twenty fifteen. Yeah, I think I think if I had to, I think that I would pick the Pistons out of that bunch. And and just on the end that because, you know, I think the Nets are older. We know this. I mean, as much as I like Lopez coming back, you know, I don't trust the age on that team. I think the expiration date is over. They lost some key pieces, and even the, and I think I think Kid was Kid was a good coach, right? Kid figured something out on that team, and he figured out the right thing. And 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 Kid's reason for leaving was like, I don't trust Billy King. Well, I don't trust Billy King either. So I I, I would 
I would kind of, I, I would kind of say that I would, I, I, and I trust Van Gundy, so I think that the Pistons are are, are my eighth seed, and and I think the 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 Pacers are done. I think Milwaukee's. Done. Is there anybody else we think in that bottom that that we can kind of think that com, comes up? There is a team. I was going to mention this that there. I would say their best case scenario is the eighth seed, and that to me is the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think they're going to do it. I'm not saying that I expect it, but I'm saying there's like a five percent chance. That they because they have the talent. That's the thing well, that makes them different from a team like the Magic. Well, to me, and the, I, I can see it working. And the other thing is like we we have evidence that, that Jason Kidd is a wizard. So so we 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 have seen him do crazy. I mean like you know and I've heard this on the halls of uh, of uh, of slow. We were talking about the Knicks two years. ago. like what the hell is going on? Oh, it's Jason Kidd's a wizard, right? It's not wizard. It's just kid is make these guys play unselfishly. And there's some interesting talent on that Bucks team. I think that team, that Bucks team. I watch way too much because I like Giannis. And, you know, sometimes you're watching stuff because you're writing stuff about a team. And that Bucks team was very dysfunctionally coached. So I think with a decent coach, and I think Kidd is a decent coach, and and, and kind of what's the kind of talent they had. Yeah, no, I could see a world where they win 38 games and get the AC. I, I could see that. So, yeah, the last thing that I wanted to hit quickly, I know you're running you're running short on time, I'm good. is – it was a lot of a lot of fun that a couple I think it was two weeks ago I sent you and Ian Levy an email because I love that I have the ability to do this and just said hey what are the best seasons by a guy who wasn't the best player on his own team and that led to two excellent pieces from you and I wanted to talk a little bit about what ended up being the the fruit of that labor so the Robbins piece right so we we did so we looked at that we looked at. Uh, I looked at the uh, the wins produced Robins and the full history of the NBA, and that one I, I'm still kind of working through. The trick on that one is is there, there's some interesting things that come out. I think one thing is I don't know how in the world Terry Porter and Mo Cheeks are in the Hall of Fame, uh, particularly Mo Cheeks. Mo Cheeks was on was was on a crazy amount of Finals teams, and he was either the best guy or the second best guy. And I know it just I think he gets overshadowed. Because he was playing like it was Dr. J, then Moses, and I think uh, they, they, you know there's some those were some really excellent teams. I think the other part is they only ever got the one ring, right? And and I think that that Sixers team, if they'd won, I mean there there's there is a world not too far off where that Sixers team like won four or five rings, right? But but it just qu- wasn't quite this world, and I think that's what Mochik gets overshadowed. I think uh, Stockton and Malone, but we know Stockton and Malone kind of come up in all of these. David Robinson comes up a lot because he, he just happened to play with some all-time greats. And I think people kind of forget he played with Rodman for a bit be, when Rodman was between stints. That team was actually quite good. They were just, you know, they, they actually they were, they were a very definition of a top-heavy team. They, were, they had some really good team of the two players at the top in, in Rodman and, and Robinson. And everybody else on the roster was fairly, fairly horrible. But, I mean, I think what was interesting is that you have to have these two guys at least, right? To, to you know to, to have a shot to contend, I think that that's the lesson. And I think I said at the beginning, which is like if you can get LeBron James and Kevin Love on your team, you you go ahead and do that because that's how you contend for a title. And I think we've seen this with the Celtics, we've seen this with the Lakers, and we've seen the seen it with the Heat recently, right? So the the, the only team of, of the teams that won the title recently that was kind of homegrown is the Spurs, but the Spurs are the Spurs, right? I was, was going to say a formula, but they have a magic spreadsheet which which can be replicated if you know what you're doing. To, to get these guys on their team. And I think, but other than that, you want to make sure the history kind of shows that you need to get these guys together. And I think if you look at things like, you're familiar with when I did the whole thing, when I did the, that finals poster about the guys who were like guys who were 
like the common features in the history of the NBA in the finals. The whole NBA. Yeah, so, I remember that. So what you'll notice is like the Celtics, for example, back in the '60s, they would like the guys that would the teams that would face in the finals. It's like, oh, hey, I like that guy on that team. Let me bring him over to the Celtics, right? Right. They they would get guys from their rivals and bring them over to the team. Uh, the Lakers did the same thing, uh, and the Celtics in the '80s. And so you see these guys who show up in multiple finals teams and multiple. Robert Ory is a classic example. We've got something coming out on him, but you know, it's no accident. He kept showing up on these teams because you know they're they were like Phil. He was like a Phil Jackson guy. Phil Jackson brought him to different places, and the Spurs brought him because you know he was a, a proven winner. And there is something to be said. Statistically, forgetting guys who like get things done and do things on unsuccessful teams, right? I mean, again, you, you have to pick carefully. You know, you, you want to get Robert Ory, you don't want to get Derek Fisher, right? Or, or, or Kendrick Perkins. You know, I don't know what team I could be alluding to. But that's kind of there, there, there is a history to that. And I think that, that study kind of shows you that, that like that's what you want to do to win those titles. I mean, it's no, it's no accident that the Sixers finally won it when they got, you know, the MVP to come on there. Uh, like they got a, they had a final team and they got the MVP to come on their team, right? So which is it's like it's like if the Spurs had actually, you know, there was there was like story going out that they were trying to see if they could there was a shot they could get LeBron. Imagine if the Spurs had added LeBron to their team this this offseason. Yeah, and the other part of it that is I think underappreciated historically is this value of somebody who is okay being a really good player and not the best player in their team, whether that be in terms of perception or even in terms of the opportunities that they're afforded, particularly on the offensive end. And that, to me, will be a huge test with Kevin Love because Kevin Love has been the guy. And what we found historically, I think generally, and you, you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that good players generally do well when they have better surrounding talent. But he is making the shift from being the guy to being not the guy. And it will be a blast for me to see how that works out. Because when we're talking about Robins, this Cleveland team has some serious Robin potential. Yeah, I think where you get into that, and I've, I've got that piece up somewhere, but I've written this piece, which basically when you put these guys together, when, like when, when guys plays with better players, when the top three is top heavy, generally the performance improves. And oh, up to there's a point of diminishing returns when you, you know, everything starts getting, when you get into like the 65 win territory, things start getting wonky, but generally guys get better playing next to better players. And I think it's important to say the fact that like Kevin Love has never played next to offensive players as good as LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. So he's been putting up these numbers and like, you know, he's been the focus of the opposing team's defense. So there, there isn't a world like next year where like people are like doubling off LeBron to cover Kevin Love. So Kevin Love's going to be getting single coverage, and, and actually he's going get, to get more open looks next year than he's ever gotten in his entire career. This is going to be kind of interesting. I mean, depending on what, what LeBron wants to do, you know, you could see Kevin Love putting up some crazy, crazy numbers offensively next year. Because I think the other thing is I think – you know, you, you get to go from – it's going to be an interesting test for Kyrie because the, the wisdom on this particular team is he should turn himself more into a ball distributor and like a floor general. And just kind of with the weapons he now has, he shouldn't be putting the ball up nearly as much as he was last year, right? Which is – so, I mean, in the, if, if I'm the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, my take is that Kevin Love should be my leading scorer next year. Yeah, that's that's the way I would structure the the team, and I think because that's how you want to run. This doesn't mean that like, and, and I mean, and, and I think Kyrie should have a crazy amount of assists. 
uh, on that team too. And I think LeBron should be the guy who just does things. I mean, like I think you you let LeBron kind of you know do his thing and coast through the regular season. I don't need him to put up 20 points. I need him to just kind of do whatever he's doing on the floor and then take over when he feels he needs to, right? And I think at this point, LeBron knows when he needs to do that. I would actually expect LeBron's numbers to maybe tail off a little bit, not just, and I think more, most, more, and here's, this is from a fantasy perspective, and I would expect like Kevin Love's to kind of rise. And I think Kyrie, Kyrie's percentages should rise is my expectation. The other component of Cleveland that we haven't talked about yet is in terms of rotations. The argument that I would make is that they should probably try to make sure that Kyrie is playing when LeBron isn't, not only to keep their offense well, but because if Kyrie really likes running the show, you give him those 10 minutes a game or whatever. I also think LeBron should get more rest than he's been getting. So maybe you make it 14 minutes a game or whatever. And if Kyrie really wants that, then you say, fine, you can get it during that time and have a blast. Who's do, the, it, do what you're going to do. Who's the best passing point guard on that team? Delvadova, probably. Delvadova. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've done the analysis. Delvadova is, is the best passing point guard on that team. He's, he's actually a pretty good player. Uh, in terms yeah, of he's very good. good. And it, it's, it's almost one of those, it's, it's, you're familiar with, with like when, when Magic came into the league, you know, he wasn't the point guard on the Lakers. It really, it was Norm Nixon who was the point guard yeah. of the Lakers and another guy from the Robins Post. And he, he was a really good point guard up to a point where through when he left, I think he left in 86, he, he got a few rings with him. And I think it's interesting that there, 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 there's an argument to be made that maybe you want to go Deladova and Kyrie at the two off the ball, right, for, for segments. And, 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 and use Kyrie more in a Dwayne Wade role. And then have, as I said, have LeBron... Have LeBron and Marion kind of do the, the their their thing, and, and actually, there, there might be a world where you're going where you're going Deladova, Kyrie, Miller, or Marion, LeBron, and, and and Kevin Love for stretches. I mean that that yep. that roster is configured is, is really interesting because, I mean, I could see you know particularly in the East, some of the small ball lineups that team can roll out are are, are, are kind of you know they're they're a coach's wet dream, and I think. The fact that they're coached by a guy like Blatt is, is going to be really interesting because I think you're going to see things uh, coming from that team that are going to be Spurs-like. In like, you know, as I said, I think the two teams that are going to rot the most interesting lineups are going to be the Cavs and I think the Spurs. Yeah, and LeBron is also a student of the game, and I think that he understands what San Antonio did and why that works, and I feel like he will advocate for that for the for Cleveland. So that that is two major components. One is not overusing your starters when you don't need it, and in the East, they really won't. And second, using the regular season as a laboratory and figuring out what works, figuring out what you want to do. You don't necessarily put all your cards on the table, but you know what works. And as I've said, that was my biggest criticism of Mark Jackson. And I'm going to put this here. I'm actually working on a piece on this. The most incredible minutes distribution stat that I've developed or that I've seen recently is what you could argue was the best five-man unit for the Oklahoma City Thunder last year, which was Westbrook, Durant, uh, Reggie Jackson, Collison, and Ibaka. Like, I think those are the five best players on the Thunder. I believe the number is that they played a combined 22 minutes together last season. Yeah, and we... It's appalling. But we were, like, if, if you ever, like, uh, uh, I forget, uh, Arabob Bulgaris, I think he's made that point. I've made that point. We're like, what are you doing, Scotty? And, and and I've been I've been having this fight with like with with Andres Oliver as one of my collaborators, which I, I keep saying like you should be playing like Russell Westbrook like they played him in UCLA, play him off the ball, have Reggie be the point guard. And I think if you watch the San Antonio series, that's when they were the most dangerous. I think the problem with that series 
where, where, where it kind of broke down and, and they missed Harden a bit is like that once the Spurs kind of realized in that series that they could. So if, if you watch those series in a microcosm kind of, you know, the, the Spurs were killing the Thunder like you know, that two years ago when they, when they, when they ended up losing. And then they, the, 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 basically the, the, the Thunder went small and they couldn't, they had to, the, the Thunder, the, the Spurs had to go away from small ball. But the reason that worked was because they had Harden. Now, like, once the Spurs figured, that, hey, we can go small again, and they don't have Harden to screw us up, then that's when the series swung this year. And I think where the Spurs were able to kind of, like, where the Thunder were able to fight it off was when they were going Reggie, Russ, KD. But once the Baca got hurt, then they really couldn't do that, right? So it was, as I said, this is why I kind of say, I still think that the Adams is a the difference there because the more you can have Adams on the floor, the more that prevents that. But but again, the point being that what you want is you want Reggie and Russ on the floor, and you want Russ in a situation like where, where Smart Coach is using Russ kind of you know in that as I said he's he's in that Dwayne Wade role, which is like he, he he's doing stuff, he's creating off the ball, he, he's playing defense, he's a physical freak. You have him going off of breaks and going to slams, and that's what you want him. You don't necessarily want him making choices to pass the ball or not pass the ball. You you you'd rather have more of a point guard. Who you know we we've seen that Reggie can play next to Kevin Durant and the the Thunder you know didn't really miss him overall records wise or points wise when they had when they switched Westbrook to to Reggie Jackson the reason being that Reggie Jackson was more a pure point guard this doesn't mean that Westbrook was a is a bad player it just means that you know Scotty should be thinking about using him in a different role and I think that gets back to your point yeah we agree wholeheartedly I the way I think of Russell Westbrook is as an agent of chaos that that's what he's best at, and what, there are a lot of guys in the league who are really good at that, and very few of those guys are the guys that you want to run your offense, because yeah. that's just not the way to use them. And it gets back into thing that I've harped on for almost a year, I've been doing this podcast for almost a year now, is the idea that a, posi- a player's defensive role has to match his offensive role, and I think that one of the challenges with the league is, you know, so people are like, oh, Russell Westbrook, he's he's a small guy, so he should be running the offense. No, play him off the ball. You can do it. And defensively, he can handle most twos in the league. So why not why not do that? Why isn't Russell Westbrook the best two guard in the league? Paul George is a two. You know, obviously he's hurt for a while, but, you know, guys like that. And this non-linearity that is present in the league, and you see it with Spurs. You see it a lot with, with smart teams at various capacities. You see it. But... This strange concept that players don't have to have offensive roles that match the literal height they are on the court. Yeah, no, I think that the thing is a point. I mean, this is why I'm kind of salivating with, again, I'm still thinking about the Cleveland lineup. So, like, you know, Cleveland could roll out something like, realistically, Kyrie, uh, Dion, Mike Miller, Sean Marion, and LeBron as a five, right? And, and, or, yeah, and, or the one that I want. You want to hear the one that I want? Kyrie. Mike Miller, Sean Marion, LeBron James, Kevin Love. Yeah. No two guard, no two guard at all. No traditional two. You just say, okay, between Sean and LeBron and maybe Mike Miller, somebody's going to be able to handle their two. You can, you can still, you can still run Ray Allen out for, for like, for like ten or fifteen minutes a night. Ray, Ray, oh, Ray, oh, of course. Ray, Ray, Ray would. Yeah, you could. Sorry, I should add that fit, that fifth spot can be Sean Marion, you know, Ray Allen, or or um, the more Mike Miller, the more we anybody. talk about the more we talk about the Cavs, the more I talk myself into going like, no, you know what, that, that team really should is going to be the one seed because the more we talk about like. The possibilities. I think the the, the adding of, of Miller and and Marion kind of takes us to a different level in the sense that like 
it's a team that's there's so much flexibility built into that roster. It's similar to the Spurs. There's guys who can play like you know there's there are like three or four guys on that team that can play four or five different positions. Like three like three or four like LeBron can play five positions. Marion, you can see him in. Well, he used to be able to do three, but he can do two. Miller can do two or three. Uh, you could probably switch guys. So there's a lot of flexibility in what the hell you can do on that team, which you know in the modern NBA is kind of the way to go. As you're saying, we, you know, you might have a guy who's covering. You know, LeBron might be playing, might be bringing the ball up, but he can also play the five at the, at the rim, and he's done it in a playoff series if you need him to, right? And I think that flexibility and that ability to kind of switch and match and, and kind of create mismatches is, is, is where the league is going. And again, we saw this with San Antonio where like, you know, the, the whole point of what they did was they were able to get four shooters out on the course, right? And, and I think what's going to be interesting this year is that they have, they, if things break correctly, they could have lineups where they're rolling out five shooters, right? And, and they, could, they could be rolling out five shooters and none of them is under 6'6". Six, six. So that if you can do that, then, then then that's a really powerful thing because teams that don't have the flexibility and don't have the personnel kind of are not going to be able to match up with you. And I think that if you remember that that Spurs uh, Grizzly series, uh, not this season but two seasons ago uh, in the playoffs, and, and I think that's how the the Spurs has kind of jobbed out the the Grizzlies in the Western Conference Finals because the Grizzlies didn't have the personnel to kind of match up once the Spurs started challenging them and kind of trying to get them out of position. And I think that's where the league is kind of moving is you have to be able to do this, right? So you, if a team decides that they're going to lock up the post, right, we're going to put three guys on the post and you're not going to get a shot on the post, then you have to be able to adjust your, your personnel to be able to spread the floor, right? And if, if a team's going to crash on the three-point three line, which is what the Pacers do, then you have to have the personnel to go to the post, right? So, so it's like football. You can't just run the ball. You have to be able to pass the ball, too. And that's, that's, that's kind of where we're getting. You, you can't be a one-way team. You have to have the flexibility to do multiple things. And what you just said is exactly why I am already salivating over a Bulls-Cavs Eastern Conference Finals because there, it'd be such a fun contrast of styles. Because the Bulls, it looks like they're going to play very traditional lineups. I don't think we're going to see Miritich at the three very much, though I would be very interested in seeing it. But I think we're going to see a team that has legit size, that knows how to use it, and that plays really hard against a team that could be doing something something that we really haven't seen in this way before. I think there's a distinct possibility that we're going to see something from the Cavs that has never been seen in American basketball. And... I don't know it for sure. I haven't talked with David Blatt. I haven't talked with LeBron James. I don't know for sure. But they have the potential to do it. And so can doing that with elite talent, as we've said, they have elite talent at the top, and they have a ridiculous comical amount of depth now. Can that work? You know, we, we, we haven't mentioned Tristan Thompson. Should we? No, no, I'm just saying, like, we've been talking about the Cavs. We haven't once in any of our lineups mentioned either Tristan Thompson or Anderson Barajal. Like well, I think well, Verjao, Verjao's great. I, I think we I talked. Think, I think we talked about Verjao, but I'm just saying, like yeah. now that I, as I said, this is why we talked about it, about it more, and, and and I'm talking myself more into this team because I'm realizing once you add all these guys, I got ten guys I could see on the floor. Like, and I'm judging by like not this. I'm judging by the 2013 finals. It's like it's like I'm gonna my my future benchmark for for any team is like if I consider contender is like could I have seen him on the floor in the 2013 finals? And there's like going to be like eight guys on that team that, yeah, I mean, at least in minutes, I could have seen them on the floor in that 2013 final, right? I think it could be closer to 10. 
Yeah, and and well, I mean, we start getting into Waiters and, and Thompson and and, and those. Are, Della Vidova. Della Vidova I, mean, I like. The, yeah. The thing, the thing about that about Thompson is, I have this residual bitterness because I feel like if the trade would have worked with Thompson instead of Bennett, I would have loved to have seen Anthony Bennett as the like tenth or eleventh guy on this team. I think, I think that would have been awesome. I think it's really him. interesting because Bennett's going to wind up in Philly, and you're going to have Bennett, and that's you know again, I think the the Sixers are interesting because I you know, and again, I don't know what the hell the Sixers are going to do, but the, but there's a world where the Sixers win 35 games because. I mean, I think I think Noel is that good, and then once you start adding some of these guys, I mean, I think, and, and I, I was saying this jokingly, but there's a real chance that the Sixers are gonna are gonna win. They won the Rookie of the Year last year. There's a real chance they win the Rookie of the Year this year. There's a real chance they win the Rookie of the Year next year, and uh, the European guy they stashed until twenty uh, until the year after that, so they could win the 2013, 14, 15, and 16 Rookie of the Year, right? And and, and this is I, I'm I'm not think I don't think I'm saying something that's that outlandish. I mean, it might be a 10% chance, but it's there. I think, you know, you throw Bennett into that mix, and I like what Bennett did, right? I think he's, he's in better shape. He's a better player than he was. And you put him in the right situation, it's going to be interesting. I would have, I think I would have liked to see him on that team, on that, on that Cavs team. I, I, I mean, yeah, I think, I, I think what's going to end up happening is, you know, I think somehow Greg Oden's going to wind up in, on that, on this Cavs team, on this Cavs team. Uh, and I think that, oh, that would be interesting. I, I think that the, his whole unfortunate off the court thing might have hurt that possibility. Yeah. But the the thing that I'm going to say on the Sixers, and I haven't said this anywhere before, but I've been thinking it for a long time, is I think they're going to have a really bad record this year, not because they are bad, but because they don't want to be particularly good. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them hosting a playoff series the following season. Oh no, I, that's I, how good I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be top five in the East really quickly. Are you accounting for the fact that they have? They have cap room for three max guys. Yes, uh, that is, I am. Account, so, I am accounting so, for that. So, they're, so they're, they're, there's a world where they have where they have Embiid, Noels, Bennett, Carter Michael Carter, Dario Williams, Saric, Saric, a top five pick, a top five pick. Well, actually, I think they got. I think they have two picks next year. Plus, they have cap money for three free agents they can bring into that team. So no, no, I, I think there's a reason why people that, why the league is scrambling to change the rules because, and I think I, I pointed this out in an article I wrote like three years back, which was like the whole age curve. One of the better articles I've written where I said, look, if you could pull a team of, of 20-year-olds that's like decent and just kind of sign them to long-term contracts, your your expectation is that that team is going to get better and better and better. And it's a Spurs model. You get to that point, you get into fixed contracts, and then you just keep flipping picks and just keep adding it to the roster. And you don't have to hit on all of them. You hit on like, if you, if you can flip things into two, three picks and just hit on one at a time, and just kind of keep flipping them and don't keep any permanent contracts, you do what it looks like the, the Sixers do. Because, I mean, seriously, I think a team with Noels and Embiid is something else, right? And, and again, you throw in the fact that they have no bad contracts, and you start throwing players in. And, 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 and you say, I wouldn't be, again, I think if they wanted to make the playoffs this year, they probably could. I, I agree with you that I think they, they won't. But I think the year after that, they could be hosting a playoff series. I mean, they could seriously be hosting a playoff series. And the other part of them that I'm really excited about, and I don't mean to slam your Celtics with this, but there are no teams in the Eastern Conference other than Philadelphia. Maybe now the Cavs, but they'll age relatively well, I think. There are no teams that are really built around that window of about three years from now. There are, while teams will get there because people will hit in the draft, you know, if, if Jabari hits for the Bucks, then the Bucks will be closer there. But the Sixers have taken advantage of this market inefficiency because the New York teams have to win now for whatever reason. 
and Miami went short-term. Basically, everybody but Cleveland and Milwaukee, I think, went short-term. And so, while other teams will get there, because obviously elite talent controls everything, the Sixers are sitting there going, okay, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to do it right now, but when we do, we will be able to do it better. And the other part, as we've talked about, is they're going to have a ton of money, and what they're going to need isn't that hard to find. You know, they're, they're going to need guards, as we've talked about. You know, guards are in plenty of supply. They're going to have their bigs locked down unless something horrible happens. So Saric is 6'10". So they're going to be looking for less expensive commodities, more about more accessible, and they can do it with throwing them the same amount of money they will get anywhere else. So as long as they don't screw up and as long as they don't have bad luck with injuries, I think that they will be in the position to be in the conversation. Whether it actually works out or not is part of what makes the NBA so fun, but they're going to be in the conversation and that's thrilling to me. Yeah, I think I think the and I, and I think the Celtics are interesting in the sense of like they got all these picks. I think the problem is that you know, they have a and a, they have this tendency to overpay. Uh, the guys on the roster, and I think that's a re- that is a real problem. They they haven't been able to, you know, they, there's a bias, you know, that my guy, right? So apparently Denny likes his guys and he likes paying his guys, and I think that's a problem that they they kind of need to get over that. You know, it's a it's a Bill Belichick. You don't put you, you know you pay people their value. Don't get emotional about this. And I think the Sixers have done a really good job at actually kind of going out and going specifically. And it's a different way to kind of think about it. There's always a real danger. As much as I, for example, I like what the Cavs, we getting back to the Cavs, I, I love what the Cavs did. I didn't like the extension to Kyrie, right? And, and, and I, I think I understand that now that all the moves have fallen, if the extension to Kyrie was key to getting LeBron, then you do it. You have to do it, right? But, but, but I do kind of wish that, that maybe they'd let him play out a little more. Because I don't think he's earned that contract yet. As much as I like him, I don't think he's earned that contract. I think the only reason that contract makes any sense is you're getting LeBron and you're also getting it at a discount because the salary cap's going to go up, right? And, 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 and those are the only two reasons I, 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 I like that contract. I, if I were running a team, I would have a hard time paying the loyalty bonus. Because you look at an operation like, for example, again, San Antonio. San Antonio doesn't play loyalty bonuses. San Antonio basically gets a discount because of loyalty from this, from their players, right? Because everybody buys in, that's what they do for the system, and that's how they win. And, and I think you, you want to get into a situation where people want to play with you to the point where, like, they're willing to take a discount to play with you. And I think that part of that is success in building culture. And I think, again, I like the culture that the Sixers are building. I think that is a culture of success. So we're talking about the worst team in the league and then comparing them to, like, the two best teams. But I think that's because... If we were venture capitalists and, and like different teams were presenting their plan for building a franchise and keeping up a franchise, I think the, the franchise is getting the money. Is Hinky's getting the money, right? I think Hinky gets the money and, and, and Buford gets the money. And, 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 and maybe Riley gets the money. That's, those are the teams that I would trust with my money. I'm, I'm not sure Riley's going to be getting the money for a lot longer, not only because I don't think he's going to want to do it, but because I think that Riley... I think that he was great for a certain time. He's an amazing salesman, but I think that we're getting into an era of players that are less susceptible to that. I think that this is kind of like, in a way, it's kind of like what happened to car dealerships once the internet got big enough that people knew how to use it. 
And so, you know, so they go, oh, you know, this car, you know, you won't find it for anywhere for less than 13 grand. And somebody goes, I looked on my computer, I could find it for 12, like 10 miles from here. You know, that type of thing, I think, is going to happen a little bit with Riley. I mean, he has an amazing sales pitch with the Heat. But on Kyrie, I think that the, as, as a general rule, I don't support guys getting full maximum extensions before they have to. But at the same part, this gets into the idea of basketball being more than just the numbers and just the game, even the game on the floor. It's about the personal relationships and all that. And as you said with LeBron, I think that it was worth it on that. And also the huge point that you mentioned and cannot be emphasized enough is that he's getting the current max. He's not getting the, we're going to have to think of a new word for it, but the mega max the super that max. is going to be, what that is going to be, whatever happens when the new media deal kicks in. Because it's going to be... As a, yeah, as a CBA nerd, it depends on the size of the cap, and the size of the cap is going to explode. It's going to so, be at least $30 million a year, at least. This is an at least number. I My expectation is that, and, and you, you saw the piece I put up, the number I put there is, I believe, a conservative estimate of what's going to happen. I think that is a, it's going to be a bigger number. You might end up seeing something like $35 million as, as a new max. Which so so basically you if you, if you sign somebody at at a fifty mil uh, level you sign them at like what the equivalent would be like a seven or eight billion like almost half right so so it, yeah I mean that's if that's the reason then you're locking him into a discount rate for long term then yeah it does make sense but you know it's it's, it's and I think one of my partners was talking about this you know the Eric Bledsoe extension when you actually work out the numbers. Bledsoe, if he signs with Phoenix right now, right? So that that's that offer. I think it's a a forty five million dollar tender that 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 uh, the Suns are offering. He only ends up losing in net present value something like three million dollars over the course of the next you know ten years, and 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 it gets down to if I'm his agent and I know that Eric has like you know knee issues, then if you start considering risk, then he should take the contract, right? So. There, 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 there's, there's an argument to be made that, like, generally, the teams have a, a, nego- a negotiating advantage. And, I, and, I, and again, I understand why they didn't take in this particular case because you were trying to get LeBron, so that's not what you're trying to do. And, and it's, the, you know, Kyrie, Kyrie's agent functionally is LeBron, right? So this is this, it, the interesting hidden story about that, about that, 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 that LeBron going to the Cavs is all these guys are with LeBron's agency, right? So. Functionally, LeBron is getting a cut from, like, I think it's Thompson, Waiters, and Kyrie are on... La Familia is what it's colloquially called. I'm not sure Rich, Waiters is Rich, in La Familia. I, uh, Rich Paul. Rich Paul's agency, which belongs to, which, you know, it's, it's LeBron's, like, guys, his friends. So, functionally, yeah. he, LeBron is getting a cut of not only his salary, but everybody else's salary. So, basically, LeBron is getting a cut of that Kyrie deal. Right. It, it, well, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's getting a cut, well, but I going, think it might. It might circle around going, a couple it, ways. And a corporation of which he is a part, a, a majority owner, is getting a percentage of of Kyrie's deal. Right. Is is the way you have to think about it. Yeah. So yeah, he's probably not getting the check directly, but but it it is a it, it is a check that is impacting his net net worth. So. I, I would I would imagine that that, that Kyrie Max had like a, some sort of influence on on LeBron signing signing with uh, with Cleveland. Yeah, 
It certainly might have. And, and anyway, if Dan Gilbert is willing to spend the money, this is an issue that I've had the Warriors have been frustrating with me with, is that you reach a certain point where you're not going to have the flexibility anyway. So, yeah, he might not be worth every penny of it, but you weren't going to use that cap space. They weren't going to be able to get somebody with that. So props. Congratulations. You got a guy who's certainly better than nothing. He's a whole hell of a lot better than nothing. And if you weren't going to use that flexibility because you're going to be paying LeBron, you're going to be paying Kevin Love, and you know, and that's how the cap works, then you're doing all right. And so even if you're paying him an extra $3 million or $4 million or whatever it is, you're not, you wouldn't have gained anything in the first place. So it's not money well spent, but it's money that isn't killing you. Yeah, I can live again under the current CBA. What's going to happen? Uh, where it's going to happen the current CBA? I can live with you know paying the max to like these middle of the road guys as long as they're young and and I'm getting them from like long term deals, right? So so the 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 Chris Bosh contract is a much worse contract than the Kyrie Irving contract. The Chris Bosh contract is a terrible contract. Uh, I think the, I mean, it's not, I think probably the worst contract was probably the mellow one. And I think you can, if, you know, the problem is like the Knicks, the Knicks can't really sign a terrible contract because the way the CBA is structured, they, they can't even get close to what they actually make in terms of what they pay out to the players. Because they, they basically MSG and the MSG network is a license to print money, right? So, so the Knicks would basically pay everybody two hundred million dollars a year, and they they would still make a mint of money and still be worth it for them. So it's a less bad contract than say like so if 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 Indiana signed Melo to that deal, it would be the worst deal in the history of basketball, right? But the Knicks doing it, or like say if the Lakers, like the same thing with the Kobe deal. The the Lakers giving Kobe that contract isn't even going to be close to being the worst contract in the history of basketball because the Lakers are the Lakers and the Lakers make, you know, I think their TV, their local TV deal is something like a billion dollars a year. Am I wrong? It's not, I don't think it's that much, but it's plenty. It's like, no, it's, sorry. It's, it's a lot. It's, I, I, think I think it's like a hundred, like, it's a hundred million, something like a hundred million. It's like, they, yeah, it's a lot. they make, they make back, they make back more. Like they could, they could make back their, their like the, the, the cap plus like the luxury tax if, if they were in a, in a super loaded situation just on their, on the local TV deal. And this is before we get into the national TV money or the ticket sales. So uh, there's no issue there. I actually disagree with you pretty strongly on this. And the reason for that is is something I wrote about this. I trashed the Mellow deal when it happened. And the reason is this. Uh, with a soft cap system, I feel like the value of a dollar in cap space for teams like the Knicks and the Lakers, and we'll have to see how the Lakers mojo changes now. But anyway, that's a separate point. I think that the value of their salary cap dollar is higher than almost anywhere else, if not everywhere else. So to me, them spending $20 million on Carmelo is actually more damaging than the Pacers because they're, they could have used that money to get somebody. Kevin Durant is probably you, never going to the Pacers. Kevin Durant mean, might go to the Knicks. But you mean, you're operating under an assumption that's not true, which is the Knicks, the Knicks' bottom line is not affected by them. It's not affected to them... As, as affected as significantly as it is for other teams by them winning or not. We've seen the Knicks make a mint of money without winning, right? So for the Knicks, it, it, it's a weird situation, yes, but they're the kind of the only show in town with that arena and with the network and with the history. So th for whatever reason, their brand is stronger than winning and losing. And, and I think... Doug Barry's going to get mad at me for saying this, but it's one situation where, like, the winning isn't that effective of the brand. So for them, really, it's more about making the big splash signings 
and and like it's more about like the star power than the actual wind power for them, right? So this is why like the Knicks always the Knicks always buy the the the, the, the Lakers always try to buy size. The Knicks always try to buy points, and and, and yep. we we know that the points doesn't get it done, size does. So, but the point being that the Knicks still make money, right? So even this is why I said, look, it, it, it's a bad deal, but it's not a terrible deal because it'll put asses in the seats. And, and yeah, it's it. We just have different definitions of success. I think I think that's really what it is. I think that you know I'm thinking of it in terms of for them winning, and you're saying that winning doesn't matter. And I think that you're I think that you're right. I think that you're right that it doesn't be that. But what's frustrating for me is that they could survive not being bad, but being shaky for a year and using that flexibility to maximize, and then building a foundation for a decade or not a decade, even at five years. I, I think that. There's this myth out there that sacrificing a year in New York City would be devastating, and obviously it wouldn't be great, but winning a championship there is certainly a possibility, and I think that foregoing that, probably, for the next four to five years is silly. I think that there's no reason for the Knicks to forego that, and you're you're right, they're going to make money no matter what, but... If you're going to make money no matter what, then why not shoot for the moon four out of five years, and then if it doesn't work, then you just eat it. Or you sign a famous guy like Jeremy Lin. You trade for Jeremy Lin. Big whoop. It's all done. The Knicks, the He's Knicks, famous. The Knicks are not winning a title while Melo's under that contract unless like they get – Agreed. Unless, unless there is some sort of egregious mistake in the draft where somebody lets – you know, they'll, they'll, they'll draft they, – they don't even know own their own picks. But somebody somehow they wind up with something. As I said, it would be something like they don't even have the draft that's actually going. Like they would have to get through. Like there, there are too many smart teams drafting for this to happen. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see a scenario where the Knicks can actually win a title. Right. I'll give you one. They have their own pick this year, unprotected. The season falls apart. They get the first pick. They get Gio Okafor, and he becomes the next guy. That's that's to me that's the one scenario. Mm. And he becomes the guy. He hits his prime right as Melo's leaving. They let Melo go, and they bring in somebody and else. And why would the Knicks draft that? I mean, why would I believe the Knicks are going to draft that guy and not because he's famous and not whoever scores the most points in the NCAA tournament? He might score the most points in the NCAA tournament. Okay, maybe. Uh, again, he yeah, might. It, Except that he plays for Duke, but he still might. I don't. I don't. I don't see. The, I don't see the Knicks getting the number one pick simply because of the fact that I don't see them being wanting to be bad enough to get the number one pick. Oh, I agree. I'm just saying that's the scenario. Like that, the way that the way that it happens is that they get the best player in, in the draft, and he becomes a star. That's how they do it. They do not do it by Melo being the best player on the team. They do it by getting somebody better than him by hook or by crook. Yeah, that's how it happens. I, I think with 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 us, our, I think we I think we want to end with 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 us arguing about the possibility of the Knicks. Uh, with, I don't think I mean again, I don't think you can win the title with with Melo on that contract. I, I I just I just don't think it can happen. And I think what's going to be interesting actually is I think you know it's just like you know Amari's on that team, and I actually think Amari still has like life left in the NBA. I mean, as a not as as the max guy, but as a, as a vet guy on uh, coming off the bench on a, on a good team, yeah, I, I think there, there, there's something to be said. So I, I think there, there, there's a shot Amari wins the title and, and gets a ring before the Knicks ever get back to the playoffs, which would be kind of, you know, kind of throwing salt in the eye of, of Knicks fans. But, you know, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, if Amari can go to a place that he gets has a limited role and he can do that maximum impact limited minutes, I think he could be a very useful piece. I think he has that left. I think you just can't ask you can't ask him to do more than that, but if you ask him to do that, he'll be fine. Can Amari can Amari be Boris Dio? He can't pass like Boris Dio, but he could impact the game at a similar level. 
yeah. you know, doing doing different things. But he could be some other team's Boris Diaw equivalent. Could, could, could Amari come off the bench for Oklahoma? Sure, Oklahoma. He could be the. Imagine him as the third big on the Cavs. Or well, actually, you know, it would be interesting. He could he could be the he could be the third big on the on the Clippers. They, that would be an interesting. That oh that that would, that be, would be fun. That would be fun. Put him with Chris Paul. That Ooh. Would, and and have him be. And again, he would. So I said, there are things you can do with with Amari, and there are interesting things you can do with Amari. Because again, he's not a guy who doesn't take care of himself. He's a guy who actually works hard and takes care of himself. I think he just has some bad luck. If you put him in a situation where he's getting a thousand minutes, you know, and he's playing kind of a limited role, and and and, and it's a good team, then yeah, no, I think he could definitely be. You know, again, he could. You know, another place where he could be really good, and it might be the best place for him is, is Phoenix. Like going back to Phoenix might be the best best move for him. Yeah, I like him better next to a, a true rib protector, which I don't think they have right now. I'm not sold on Miles Plumlee being that, but I do think that they have they have the offensive talent to make him make yeah, sense. Yeah, I think I think more. I'm going more for a medical staff point of view. I think. Oh, oh, I, yeah. I, 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 and you know that we we've seen evidence that that's the best medical staff in the league, and I think that's you you want to make sure again you want to make sure it's like a team that knows how to take care of of a player with an injury, and kind of get him where it needs to be. So I think, you know, like, if, I, if I'm his agent, I'm going, like, you know, I, I, Miami, San Antonio, I, I mentioned uh, Phoenix. Those are the teams I'm thinking about that, that, that have a decent track record at, like, keeping guys healthy and kind of taking care of the guy's minutes to make sure that, that he's 100%. That's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. And again, as I, as I said, I, I do think Amari is a guy who, who has some stuff in the tank, and, and it could be interesting in a, in a, in a role-player role for one of these teams. Well, and we how can we have a discussion on the Knicks and not talk about their most underutilized player, Andrea Bargnani? Oh, Bargnani. Is he still in the league? Is he actually yeah, going to play? I think so. Well, no, I, I, think, I think what's interesting is, like, you know, that, 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 that's the way that the Knicks season turns around. It, but they, they trade Bargnani, you know, in, 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 in November. And, and, you know, obviously when you trade Bargnani, you make the playoffs. That's how the season can turn around. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, see, I don't see any way that, like, Phil lets him in the deal, building. I, I can't see, unless he's specifically trying to go for the number one pick. Right, so there we go. He has a he has a value. He has a value. They just have to appreciate his value. Yeah, I, I hope Knicks fans are not listening to you and like talking about the possibility of Andrea Bargnani. I think the Knicks fans are. I mean, I think oh, is it Clyde? Uh, that, that that Milwaukee game where like Clyde was going, what the hell is this guy doing? When he was striking that crazy, it, like no, like I think we have ample evidence that Bargnani should not be playing. And again, I think actually. Perfect segue. So we we've got our uh, our uh, all time numbers up on wages and wins. Sorry, on Boxco Geeks, and uh, you can go there and look at Bargnani's uh, player page for his entire career and marvel at the worst player of all time, and not 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 just one of the worst, the worst. And I think there's more than you know enough empirical evidence to know that like, hey, Bargnani went away and the Knicks got good, and and and, and the Raptors traded Bargnani, and all of a sudden. Hey, they're like they're like they had a that they they actually played a home series in the playoffs. They didn't win it, but they played a home series in the playoffs. You know, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I could take Bargnani on a, on a basketball court, but I don't know that he should be on an NBA court, right? He might be able to fit it in like the Italian league somewhere. I don't think there is a single better way that we can end this podcast. That I agree with that entirely. Uh, thank you so much for taking time. It was an absolute blast. Okay, that was fun. Take care, man. Thanks. Thank you so much to those of you who persevered through the clicking. I hope you enjoyed it. And, of course, thanks so much to Arturo Galetti for coming on. You can read him at BoxScoreGeeks.com. It's a site I really enjoy, and it's going to be exciting to see what they do with their expanded database. And I loved the 
as he called it, the Robbins piece, the pieces that he had come out, and was thankful that it, my jovial kind of question to him and Ian Levy turned into such a good result, and it's totally a worthwhile piece. You can also follow him on Twitter at Arturo Gualetti, that's A-R-T-U-R-O-G-A-L-L-E-T-T-I. So that was great, loved having him on, and that was also a nice bridge into, as I've talked about the last couple weeks, the end of the summer and beginning of the fall will be largely consumed by these division podcasts that I am working on, and the guest lists are being firmed up, there are a couple of them that are set as you guys know, I do not publicize who my guests are beforehand because I don't want to get people excited and then, you know, if something happens. So I won't tell you exactly who they are, but I am very excited. Some some of my favorites that have been on the show and some people that honestly I've wanted to have on before and it hasn't worked out and they're going to be a part of this. So that is very exciting. And they will ideally start next week. I have a tentative recording scheduled for next Wednesday for the first of those. There might be one before. It might start after. As you guys know, it changes around. But I'm very, very excited for that. And I hope to do some general podcasts intermixed as well. And I want to do some coverage of the FIBA World Cup. I still hate the name, but... I love international basketball. I actually generally prefer international basketball rules to the NBA rules. I love the goaltending. There are certain other things that I really, really like. And so we'll see how this USA team does. It has been exciting to see Anthony Davis become something bigger, and his mid-range shot is actually looking a lot better during these competitions, and I'm very excited for that because I think he's a pure power forward and playing him next to Omer Sheik will be very exciting for the Pelicans, even though they might not make the playoffs, as Arturo and I talked about at length. So thank you so much for listening. As I always say, your feedback makes the show better, and you can email me at daniel.laru at realgm.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at DannyLaru, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I res- read everything, I respond to as much as humanly possible, and I really do appreciate it because that's how sometimes I get guests, it's also how I get comments, and do things to make it better. So, thank you so much for listening, and take care, and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even a 